Hi, my name's David. I'm one of the leaders here. And I just want to spend some time this morning just sharing from the scriptures and teaching on this series that we're in, which is called Holy, Holy Habits. So since, let me see, since at the beginning of the year, we've been doing this series called Holy Habits, which is basically the series that is looking at what it means for us as followers of Jesus to actually become more like Jesus, more like the one that we follow, more like our master. Um, and the real purpose of that is to help us to actually grow this idea that we don't, we're never static in the Christian life. We're, we're never just static. We should always be in motion and moving. And Christ is always inviting us into this life of growth and transformation. And so one of the roles, perhaps the primary role, in fact, of the church is to help us together as community figure that out, to help us uh, figure out how to become disciples of Jesus and how to look more like him. So where we come just as we are to Christ, but he's so interested in us that he wants to mold us and change us and make us our full selves, help us to live out of our true identities. Um, and so that's what this series is all about, essentially. Um, this idea of, of, of discipleship is something that Diedrich Bonhoeffer said is, is so essential. He said, Christianity without discipleship is actually Christianity without Christ. And so the person who's following Jesus is someone who actually looks like Jesus, or to use Paul's language, has Christ formed in them. Their whole being shaped head, heart, hands, the way that they think, feel, and act, loving God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the Apostle Paul, he's getting at this idea that Christ can be born in us, and we can express his character and goodness to the world around us. And so in order to, to do that well in this community, we've been looking at um, some things that are going to help us on the way. We want to be restored to that image that we were created to be originally in Genesis, the, the Genesis narrative. We're created to walk with God and to image God in the world. Or the Greek word for that is actually icon, which really means that um, we, we resemble the likeness of God. And so to restore that in us, we actually need to get back on that road of having our lives renovated and re this redemption that Jesus offers to, to restore us back to that intended purpose, that intended image of imaging God fully in the world. And so that road of discipleship, that ancient path, involves some practices, some habits, some holy habits, some tools that actually help us. Actual concrete, real real ways to actually do the Christian life um, and to have Christ formed in us. Um, we're not just left high and dry in our imaginations. We're given stuff, and it's been proven throughout the centuries as people have journeyed with Jesus that these are proven paths. In fact, I was reading in Jeremiah 6, 16, this, this, this little passage sums it up. It says in Jeremiah 6, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. So at Redeemer, we're about discovering and rediscovering these ancient paths. And, and in order to go forward in our lives, we need to go back, we need to look back at what has come before. And these 
ways of being, these practices help us do that. So the ancient way is about joining God in how we effectively spend our lives. And so far we've looked at some practices. The first week we looked at the practice of faith. Second week, Stephanie shared with us about the practice of gratitude or thankfulness. Third week, Ryan shared about this practice of Sabbath, of taking time out to rest. And last week, I looked at somewhat practical but profound um, habit of servanthood. And so we're continuing on that little series. We're going to look today at a practice called fasting. And I've bitten off more than I can chew with this one. Oh, I hope not. No pun intended. <laughs> but it's such a practical, a practical practice, which is essentially what it's supposed to be about, um, that I hope today is engaging for you and that you find it useful, um, especially as we begin Lent. If you're really interested in learning more about this idea of practices, I want to recommend a book to you. This is a, a little series called the Ancient Practices Series. Um, there's a series of eight books, actually. Um, this is the first one, which is sort of like an overview by Brian McLaren. It's just called Finding Our Way again. And it's really worth checking out. There's individual books on Sabbath and tithing and fasting and pilgrimage and all sorts. Um, really good series, but this particular one's a bit of an overview. So if you're really interested in reading more, check that out. Um, okay, so let's dive in. So this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and we're gathering here at 101 to, to mark that in uh, the Christian calendar. This date is this beginning of the season of Lent. So we've all heard of Lent, hopefully. There's 40 days before Easter, leading up to Easter, in which traditionally people give up stuff, <laughs> basically. We um, enter, it's essentially a season of fasting, giving up of a kind of food or a luxury or a habit of some sort for, for, for a spiritual intention. Um, so it's hands up, is anyone here, have you practiced Lent before? Have you given stuff up for Lent? Hands up in the past. Is anyone gonna do it this month? Hands up. Are you not sure yet, considering it? Hopefully by the end of today, you'll maybe consider, um, consider that. Um, there's more to Lent than just giving stuff up, um, whether that's like something like a food that you like or whatever it is, fasting from technology or media or whatever it may be. Um, and we're going to lean more into that. Um, the whole idea around repentance, the whole idea around celebrating and marking our mortality and death, it's going to be amazing on Wednesday. Do come. I'm really selling this to you. But actually, from, for, like, it, that's the whole idea of, of Lent. From dust we come and dust we return. That is the purpose of Lent, to connect us and root us into our mortality as humans. We're not getting into that today. You'll be thankful to know. Um, today, we're going to look at um, I guess not the practical side of, 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 of fasting, but the spiritual um, significance um, and the heart of the season, which is this actual practice of fasting, which is a, a practice that's often just misunderstood, and it's often not really profiled a lot in the church. Um, Scott McKnight says this. He says, fasting is a person's whole body response in a natural way to life's sacred moments. Fasting is a person's whole body response in a natural way to life's sacred moments. And it's the natural part, I guess, that has led fasting to be this central part of all major religions and philosophies in the world. Wherever you look, you will find this practice of fasting. It's been practiced 
um, in the Hebrew scriptures by, by Moses, by King David, Elijah, Esther, Daniel, Anna the prophetess, the apostle Paul, and Christ himself. And we, and we see throughout the ages it's also been practiced by Confucius and the yogis in India and Plato and Socrates and Aristotle, even the father of modern medicine, Hippocrates, believed in fasting. So what, what are we talking about when we talk about fasting? We talk, well, fast, in its simplest terms, fasting is, um, throughout scripture, is this practice of abstaining from food for, for spiritual purposes, and it's often done in conjunction with prayer. That's, that's it in its simplest form. Now, those that are into their health um, will know that today science health developments have shown actually like fasting and intermittent fasting particularly has got really incredible health benefits um, for the body. Um, unlike perhaps a number of years ago where, where we were convinced perhaps that fasting wasn't good for us, that we needed to consume constant energy and calories to run our bodies well every day. Actually, it's been found that fasting has really got some really powerful health benefits to us. And so it's, it's sort of good to know that this ancient practice has actually got some physical benefits to it, and science has shown that today. Um, but our interest lies beyond just the physical and the health benefits. We're going to look today just at the spiritual significance. Why should we as followers of Jesus engage in such a practice? What, what is it there for? Um, and how should we do it? So firstly, these two ideas before we dive in, right? Two ideas, two important factors we've got to hold in our minds before we look at this practice in more depth. I want to talk about the first one, which is to do with our, our bodies, the importance of our physical bodies in our spiritual lives. So throughout the ages, the human body has often been viewed as an enemy to spiritual, like the true spiritual life. It's sort of that extreme asceticism, you know, the denying of self denying of the body. But in the West particularly, the relationship between the body and the spirit has been troublesome because there's this unhelpful dualism in Western thought that separates us out into these parts. And it's disconnected the body from true spiritual life, as if all spiritual life is found in the, in the unseen. And the body is just a, a temporal thing that we just have to put up with. But in Hebrew thought, there's this much more holistic vision of what it means to be a human. There's this make, made in God's image, as I said, this, this, the icon, this imaging of God that humanity is, is much more of an organic, uh, unified, all-in-one um, being, body, soul, and spirit. And many facets to it, much like a diamond, but one entity. And in order to be truly reflective of our God-given nature, the light has to shine through all of those aspects, our bodies, our souls, our spirits, our mind. And so in the West, often there's been this disembodiment of spirituality that the body doesn't matter. Um, but in fact, in recent times, in many religious streams, and even in the West in general, there's a real resurgence in what I'm going to call today embodied spirituality. The popularity of practices like yoga, for example, really sum this up. The actual use of our physical beings um, in postures, not only just for health, but for spiritual significance. And in the Western churches, there's a much more significant interest now, particularly in the West, from more Eastern traditions in embodied Christianity and the sacraments 
um, and physical practices, the doing of spirituality, which is what we're looking at today. So we, Redeemer, if you're, we're following Jesus, we worship God in our bodies, with our bodies, in these tangible, practical, concrete ways. Um, deep in the yearning of us as humans is this need to do spiritual life with all of our being, including our bodies. Dallas Willard puts it like this. The new life in Christ is simply not an inner life of belief and imagination. Even if spiritually inspired, it is the life of the whole, whole embodied person in the social context. So fasting, this practice is something that's gonna help us, I hope, move from a sense of a disembodied faith into engaging our whole selves spiritually. Um, Scott McKnight actually calls this body talk. That's what he, call, he calls fasting body talk. This idea that there's like a communicative engagement between our flesh and our blood and the divine, that we're posturing and using our bodies in a way to connect with God. Um, he says that fasting is the body talking about what the spirit yearns, what the soul longs for, what the mind knows to be true. That's the first idea, that whole idea of embodying our spirituality as a really good thing. Second idea is this idea of appetites. The recognize the role of fasting when it comes to the desires of the body. So um, when, I, when I speak about appetite, we all often think about food. We think about, I, I think about food, I don't know about you. <laughs> and I love food, and the whole foodie culture is massive in our society. Um, and it's great, and it's something to really enjoy. Food is something that is there for us to enjoy, to give thanks to the divine for, to participate in. But as well as that, I'm just aware that our relationship with food is so complicated for, for many of us in this room for many different reasons. And when it comes to fasting, we touch upon some of, some of that, and so I wanna be sensitive around that. Because I think food is a power over us much more than we would like to even admit. And it's not a negative thing. It's something to enjoy. It's been given to us. But there's something really primal um, about food and our consumption of it that is powerful, um, somewhat sacramental. So there was no irony on me, uh, lost on me, when I was preparing this preach yesterday when Beth called around and she, she had this... I was reflecting on fasting and she knocked at the door and she had this freshly made banana bread that was like straight out of the oven, which I just totally devoured. Um, I thought they are, yeah. So I do practice what I preach, but alas, the banana bread was just too good. Um, <clears throat> uh, seamless move from me devouring banana bread to Freud. <laughs> Freudian psychoanalysis uh, talks about this idea. Have you heard of this idea of the pleasure principle? Has anyone heard about that? Um, so the pleasure principle is this instinctive seeking of, of pleasure and the avoiding of pain in order to satisfy biological and psychological needs. Wow, Sunday morning, welcome to Redeemer. In other words, it's, this, it's basically the philosophical mantra of the West. Just, this is, this, in layman's terms, just do what feels good in the moment. Just do what feels good in the moment. Eat the dang banana bread, you know. Um, but the problem with this mantra is that we'll never really, ultimately, and we'll see as we go on, mature 
or really enjoy life as God intended if we continue just to live out of the pleasure principle because it's so short-focused and it, invo- it avoids things that really do matter. And the body with all its wants and desires driven by this consumeristic society that's set up to market to those wants and desires means that we end up compromising our freedom, essentially. The, the paradox here is that in our freedom to, to just do what we want when we feel, we end up becoming really enslaved, essentially, to our desires. And they become our, our masters. Our, our bodies actually master us in that sense. So this is where, like, if you want to think about fasting, it's a bit like a, like a bit of a spiritual hack in that sense. It's a concrete practice that addresses the reality Um, that reality that I spoke of, that pleasure principle. And it it encourages us and helps us to break free from those desires. And so fasting ultimately, like all disciplines, is not about restraint, but it's about total freedom. Ask any, for example, martial artist about discipline, and they will tell you that it opens them up to a, a whole world of freedom by constraining themselves to the discipline of that practice. It's much like that with us in our spiritual life. As we submit to these ancient paths, practices like fasting, we actually are opening ourselves up to true freedom. So, all sounds really counterintuitive, and I guess that's why there's a priest called Robert Ferrar Capon who says that, well, he says it's too much of a good thing is as bad as too little. Um, or G.K. Chesterton said that we should thank God for beer and burgundy by not drinking too much of them. Um, but I think all these sage writers, um, they mean that there's a space somewhere for us as humans in between too much and not enough that is a rich place, that is satisfying, that is joyful, that is creative. And so fasting helps us to attain that. It's the ancient path in the way of Jesus to a space of freedom and to a space of power, which we'll get to next. So let's find out more about how we can actually engage with this practice. Hopefully on the screen behind you, it'll come up, um, Matthew 6. Basically, when we look at the scriptures, fasting as a practice in the scriptures is something firstly that Jesus taught. Matthew 6, he says this in verse 16, This is in his discourse in the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching his way in the world. He says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting might be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So firstly, Jesus is teaching this, and he says he doesn't suggest if, but he actually he actually he says when you fast. There's an assumption made by Jesus that this is a good thing, that this is a practice or a pattern that we should continue. Um, and we'll see here that it's not an empty practice of a bygone era. It actually is an essential core practice of people that follow Jesus. It's actually in the discourse of the Sermon on the Mount alongside giving to the poor and prayer. Like, a, like, a, like three aspects of 
the ethic of Jesus, three core central practices, giving, prayer, and then fasting. And yet we often don't talk about it all that much. So we can't dismiss fasting when it comes to the words of Jesus and his teaching to us. Secondly, fasting is encounter. It's intimacy with Jesus, or intimacy with the Father. Um, Jesus is interested in fasting done right. There's a way to do it that's not right. And he talks about that in that passage, about the religious figures and the hypocrites who do it in public. Um, And fasting, like other spiritual practices, can easily drift into this self-righteousness and this self-absorption. Um, particularly among the ancient Israelites. So as I say, earlier in the passage, we saw the Pharisees fasting in public. They'd drawn attention to themselves and to their deeds. But Jesus goes on to illustrate the main focus of fasting, which is that it has to be done in, that it should be done in secret, in a sense. It's an intimate practice that we do in communion with the Father, with the Father, just like Jesus did in his life. It's something between us and God, so that God will see our devotion to him. There's a lot of reasons to abstain from food. Hunger strikers, they abstain out of protest in order to draw attention to a cause or attain political power. Dieting abstains from food for the purpose of physical reasons like fitness or weight loss. And of course, these aren't negative at all, but the practice of fasting that we're talking about here and which Jesus is teaching is this purpose of prayer, of repentance, dependence, encounter, intimacy, devotion with the Father in secret, our reliance and dependence upon him. And so just like everything in the kingdom of God, it's an upside down, it turns logic on its head because this practice that's seemingly a practice that induces weakness or a lack of energy is actually a practice that leads to accessing real, true spiritual power. Dallas Willard says this, fasting confirms our utter dependence upon God by finding in him a source of sustenance beyond food. And so there's this intimacy with the Father And then there's this access to something that will sustain us beyond food, a power um, that we're going to look at next. And this is the important piece because practices with only the form uh, are empty unless they are containers of power. Practices lead us to access true spiritual power. And the vehicle of the practice itself is just an empty practice unless it takes us to the Father and gives us real, true spiritual power in our lives. So let's keep moving. Matthew 4, if we go back, we'll see this third aspect of fasting, this idea of empowerment, because Jesus actually practices fasting himself. In Matthew 4, he's in the wilderness 40 days, It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Understatement of the century. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth 
of God. And so here we have this picture of Jesus. He's going through his temptations in the wilderness and there is this truth that he holds on to. He's in the desert. He's encountering the demons of his deepest temptations and yet this is where he finds God's sustaining presence and love. The simple realities of of spiritual life that we can perhaps only access when we practice fasting before God. Life for Jesus was sustained not by, not by bread, but actually by the word of God in his life. He, he overcame his deepest fears and temptations by, by feeding on the word of God for his life, rooting him in his identity as the son of God. And so at his very weakest, after 40 days and 40 nights, being tempted by the enemy, he was at his strongest when he says, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus is our example um, in life. We're invited today, Redeemer, to, to receive the good word of God into our lives, to nourish us, to sustain us, and to empower us, to empower us on this journey of faith. Um, Jesus' life is this, is this remarkable character. He's a, of love and of power where he was actually able to pour out of himself to help people around him and minister to so many. And all of that came from this intimate relationship that he had with his father that we too have access to. All of it came from this intimate relationship with the father that gave him the power to minister to others. Um, So fasting prepares us for this encounter with the father. And as we lean into our relationship with the Father, we are reminded of who we are. We're guided into our destiny and we're empowered to do amazing things and experience, perhaps experience breakthrough that's only, that can only be available in the kingdom of God. You've heard, the, you've heard that phrase, practice makes perfect. Yeah, that's a simple phrase, practice. Brian McLaren actually turns this on its head and he says that, Practice makes possible. There there, are these aspects of the spiritual life that just just simply won't be accessible to us uh, until we submit to these ancient paths, that we can actually open up these realities to life when we um, engage with these practices. These are gifts to us to help us on this journey. And they're, they're actually ways of opening our hands so that we can receive the gift of God into them. Matthew 6 uh, finishes that passage, just says, uh, fast that you may not be seen by others, um, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. There's this idea of the Father depositing something in us when we seek him in the, in the quiet place. So it's n- our, our, our posture, our desire, our, our aim for fasting is not accessing the power, getting these results, it is intimacy with the Father. But in doing so, we can contend for real things to shift. We can affect things, uh, deep, deep things, otherwise would never be movable. If you ever felt stuck in your spiritual journey, the scriptures actually show us a spiritual hack that could perhaps help us. It might not help us completely, 
but it's worth trying. Fasting seems to be this gift of grace to us to do that. There's another idea. Fasting is grace received. Fasting can liberate us, as I've been saying, in these transformative ways. In his book, The Sacred Art of Fasting, Thomas Ryan, a Roman Catholic priest, reminds us that fasting is tapping into God's grace. He writes this, the tendency is to think that God will love us if we change, if we do these things. But God loves us so that we can change. Penitential practices and disciplines like fasting enable us to appropriate and make real in our lives the freedom given through grace. So if, if a call to practices, a call to living out these spiritual disciplines feels like a heavy weight today, I want us to hear this as actually an invitation to grace, that this is a grace given to us that helps us appropriate the freedom that has been given to us by, by God. Jen Hatmaker says this really well. She says, the spirit of the fast, um, an intentional reduction, a deliberate abstinence to summon God's movement in my life. A fast creates margin for God to move. Practice makes possible a margin for God to move. So those are some of the components of, I think, what fasting is about. It's taught by Jesus. Um, it's taught by Jesus as essential. It's practiced by Jesus as a way of, of connection with the Father and a sense of connection with real spiritual power to break through and to overcome our temptations and empower us to live this life like Jesus. And it's this grace that we get to receive. It's grace that opens up um, all of these possibilities. And this final thought today I just wanted to share about fasting is this idea that fasting is feasting. Fasting is feasting. We can't talk about the practice of fasting um, without actually talking about feasting. And I'm not talking about perhaps what we'll do next week, which is eat together and share brunch at Table Sunday, although that is a spiritual practice of actual celebration, which we will get to do. But what I'm talking about today is more specifically nourishing ourselves on the person of Jesus. That when we fast, we get to nourish on the bread of life. Jesus calls himself this bread of life. He calls himself this He's the direct provision of God to sustain us, to, to nourish us, to renew. Is anyone in the space today feeling tired or weary? Jesus is a gift to us to help sustain us, to nourish us and nourish our souls and to renew us and fill us with real spiritual vitality. This whole idea of fasting reveals the reality of this other world beyond that we see, a world that sees the divine just piercing through it into our lives, things that we can't see that is possible because of Christ. And so you see this in John 6. I'll not read the whole passage. I'll just read from 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. 
your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Christ, in his per- the per- giving of himself, not just at the cross for us, but most symbolically at the cross, most powerfully at the cross and at this table, gives of himself as the bread of life. He is the one that we can commune with. He is the one that we can nourish on. He is the one that can sustain us and empower us. So as we consider in this season of Lent, as we consider this practice, which I've given a very quick overview of today, when we consider that, when we engage with it, this is actually an invitation for us, Redeemer, to nourish on Christ, to feed our souls, to not just be stuck, but to engage with true power, spiritual power that is available to us. And there is an invitation there. It is a grace. This is a tool that is given to us. If, that, if, it, if we didn't have fasting or prayer, any of these practices, we might feel a little unstuck, come unstuck, or we would feel stuck in our journey. But in fact, we have these tried and true practices, these ancient paths that do help us that do help us to grow spiritually and access true power, the type of power that caused Christ to live such a remarkable life. Um, So Jesus is this manna from heaven for us today. He is the bread that sustains. If you're tired today, he is the bread of life for your soul. Whether you fast or not, he is there for you today. He's there for you this morning. He is the one that can give you true rest There's a table set up every day that we're invited to come and sit at and commune with the true bread of heaven. And when we throw our dependence upon God and we open our mouths and open our hands, he fills us up. He fills us up. These are his words. He fills us up and he brings us true satisfaction. I'd love us to stand. I'd love the band to come up. And I'd love us to practice Eucharist, the breaking of bread, the drinking of wine, and juice to celebrate Christ and him giving himself to us in his sacrifice on the cross. We're all invited to the table. We're all invited to come in grace, to eat of the bread, to drink of the wine, and to, to, to nourish upon Christ and all that he has done for us, the true rest and shalom that is available to us today. We have a better story, Redeemer. We have a better story. This is a community shaped around a better story than the story of consumeristic society that just wants us to feed and feed and feed on everything that is available to us. We have a better story and a better way, the way of Jesus. And Jesus is our bread today that we get to come and nourish on. So as we come to the table, just hold those words of Jesus in our minds. Come and bring all that you are. Come and bring all of your 
weariness, or all of your joy, all of your enthusiasm, or all of your troubles, whatever it may be, bring those to the table and you will find life at the table as you share bread with one another. Before we, we, we rush on, um, I just want to really invite us seriously in this season of Lent to actually engage with this practice. This is this teaching of this essentially very simple overview of this practice of fasting is so connected with prayer. And I'd love us as a community to really consider fasting even this week, even on Wednesday and Ash Wednesday and throughout this season, perhaps begin to to engage with this practice as a means of jump-starting your spiritual life, as a means of connecting again with the Father, as a means of connecting into that greater story that we're part of. So let me encourage this Redeemer to engage with this, engage with this and engage with prayer. You might you might not want to fast from food. I, you, you may, you may want to take time in Lent to fast from something else. It may be the media. It may be your smartphone. It may be people. It may be technology. It may be spending money. Whatever it is, in the fasting from that, we actually lean into this reality that God is enough for us. And we enter into this true, spacious freedom that is for us. So the story of our culture says more, more, more. We can actually respond with less is more. And so just want to really encourage you, really consider engaging with this powerful practice. If you want to know more about it, come and speak to me. Um, Spend this season of Lent, perhaps in prayer, perhaps for your own life, perhaps you're seeking some guidance you need guidance from God, some big crossroads in your life. Perhaps you just need a breakthrough in your life when it comes to a relationship or illness or family or work or whatever it may be. Perhaps bring that to God in the secret place and engage with this practice of, of fasting along with prayer. We can access this true life that Jesus has called us to. Look, it's really possible for us. It's really true and possible that we can live a better way. So I want to invite us as a community to, to, to consider this practice and to consider this way of Jesus. And perhaps we'll have stories to tell of the goodness of God in our lives as we do that. Perhaps we won't. Perhaps the story we will get to tell is a closeness with the Father, is an, a renewed intimacy with the Father, and that is what it's all about. I want to invite us, Redeemer, into that journey in this season of Lent. And I want to encourage you, if you've never considered fasting before or giving yourself to the prayer in that way, um, I'd really love you to, to consider that. I also just want to mention, um, before we sing, um, there will be ministry today, and I'm going to uh, invite Jillian up to share a little bit about that. But I know our relationship with food can often be such a complex one that there are many in this room uh, that you might want to explain some prayer today, perhaps in that area, which is, it's a difficult area for you, the whole idea of even thinking about what you eat or what you are abstaining from food or anything like that. Is, there's a million different reasons why that's complicated. And so if you would love prayer today, I'd love you to come up at the end, uh, speak with Jillian. I'm going to invite Jillian up in a wee minute to share a little bit more about that. Um, but I want you to hold all those ideas in your mind and just bring it back to the table as we sing 
come and nourish on the bread of life, Jesus, and all that he is to us today.